Well, welcome today, church. Well, as I was preparing this week um, for this uh, service, uh, uh, an image kept coming to mind, and I thought, oh, I shouldn't use that. I shouldn't use that image. That might be weird for, for some, but I think I'm going to, so hold on, right? Uh, when I was a kid, about I think about fourth or fifth grade, I have the opportunity to go to my family um, that lives in the hollers of Virginia, Freeze, Virginia, a little town uh, there in, in Virginia, and uh, my mom put me on an airplane all alone. You could do that back in the day. I don't know if you can do that now. Maybe. I don't know. But it was cool because I got unlimited peanuts and I got like a little flying like wings, right? And I got to meet the pilot. It was awesome. Yeah. And so she put me on a plane all alone um, from Kansas City and I flew um, to Virginia and I got to spend the whole summer, two months um, with my grandma and grandpa and my aunts and uncles in Virginia doing what they do. And I remember um, it was an incredible time of life, probably one of my favorite summers yet. Uh, well, no, maybe not yet, but it was my favorite summer as a kid, and I, I, I just did everything that they did. It was a, it was a little boy uh, whose, whose mom was a little overprotective at times. It was a little boy's dream, right? Like unlimited creek playing time. I can't tell you how many snakes I caught that summer. It was amazing, right? And fish and farm ponds that I still want to go back to. And, and so I just did what they did. They're lumberjacks, and so I got to, they had their own sawmill, so I got to learn how to operate the knuckle boom, which is really just a giant claw game with logs, right? It's awesome. And so I got to learn that. I remember um, I almost cut my knuckle off because I was learning how to whittle. And I learned from that point on, I still see the scar, that you always go away, you whittle away, right? I, I learned uh, many things. I got to, to be the gatekeeper for the cows. As they did cows, they were uh, roofers and builders. So I got to swing the hammer in the sun. I just got to live. They were the kind of people that just bring you along and just let you like participate. I learned that if you pick a skunk up by its tail, it can't spray you because it's got to lift its tail to do it. But the hard part is you got to throw it far enough away so you don't get sprayed, right? I'm telling you, a fifth grader's dream, baby. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And so one of the days we were, um, we were uh, bringing in bales of hay. And, and I remember this like very vividly. And, and my uncle was on the tractor, and I think I've got a picture. Um, but it had a, a, a hay spear on the back, hay fork on the back, and a hay fork on the front. And, and we would go out in the field, and we'd get two bales. And I would sit, the tractor's a little bit different, but I would sit on the back of the tractor, and I would put my feet up against the, the hay bale there and see if I could push it off. Because, <laughs> right? Because my legs are strong, and I wanted to test them out. Absolutely not. That's not going to happen, right? But the, the, the time I did it, I, I got back there on the back of the tractor. I put my legs up on the hay bale, and I pushed, and then nothing happened because it's huge. And I, and I pushed, and nothing happened so it's huge. And I pushed, and nothing happens because it's huge. But I pushed just enough to knock a little bit of, uh, of hay loose, and from that loose hay comes the biggest black snake that I had seen of the summer yet, and decided that that was enough for him to get out of the hay bale because he was wrapped up in it to come. And the only exit that he could come was right into my lap, right? And as you can imagine, I like snakes and I'm not that afraid of snakes, but I ran faster than I've ever run in my entire life, like a 4440. Like it was fast, right? 
and then I ran and I jumped and I hollered and my uncles are laughing at me and just the days stopped. But that snake, right, the snake that comes out of the hay bale, it had gotten in the, in the windrow and it had been rolled up into the hay bale and I knocked just a little bit of it loose enough for the snake to come out. And wondering how long that poor snake had been in there, right? But the snake was, was coming and searching for a way out, and he found it. And so today, as we come to our season of Advent, Merry Christmas, we're going to talk about snakes, right? John the Baptist gives us this imagery of a snake fleeing from doom. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, we're going to look at John, cha- or excuse me, Luke chapter 3, uh, starting verse 7 this morning as we continue in the Advent season, as we come to this character that we meet every Advent season, uh, John the Baptist, an interesting place. If you, if you look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 3, you know that a couple things um, have happened uh, before we talk about John the Baptist. Jesus uh, is, is, is born in, in the beginning uh, of Luke, but don't look at that part yet because we're not to Christmas yet, but just keep that in the back of your mind, right? Jesus is born. He's presented at the temple. The 12-year-old Jesus uh, stays behind at the temple. He's a little bit snarky for a 12-year-old. And then we come to this, this passage of, of John the Baptist, um, and, and we, we recognize that this is the, the passage that is, is prophesied at the beginning of chapter three, that there will be a voice crying out in the wilderness. And we have this imagery of this hairy man uh, who comes to prepare the way uh, of the Lord. And so here in John ch- or Luke chapter three, starting at verse seven, I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says this, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked, and John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food to share should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not, I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Every year we're faced with this uh, this guy that we know as John the Baptist. And every year it's just a little bit irritating. 
and every year I like it, right? And we come to this place where John the Baptist shows up again, whether he's invited or, or, or not, and, and, and we have this, this imagery of, of John speaking to people that have come to him in a, in a manner that, that, that says that they need something. Every time you guys come to church, we say, welcome in the name of the Lord. We're glad you're here today. But John the Baptist says, welcome in the name of the Lord, you snakes, right? And he continues, and, 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 and he's kind of abrasive, and he's kind of rough around the, the edges. But he, he comes, and, and people come to him, and they, they want to be baptized. They hear of what he, he, he's preaching. And, and, and we get to participate in that today. But we're reminded that there's not much to do with the Christmas spirit in these passages. As we talk about snakes and, and other things. And, and we, we come and we, we recognize we only have nine days to go. And our thoughts are focused on last minute shopping and gift wrapping. And the downtime that will be coming soon. Like some of our teachers are, are surviving on coffee and cough drops. Like, Lord bless you, right? It's coming. It's coming, right? It will be here soon. And we're ready for that, for that break in life. And we're ready to gather with friends and family and drink hot cocoa and watch hot Frosty the Snowman in peace. And we're just ready. It's coming. It'll be here. It'll be here soon. We're trying to drape lights on our busheries. And we're, we're trying to bring Christmas trees inside, which is very weird, by the way. And we're, we're here, and we have John giving us this image of the axe laying at, the, at the, the foot of every tree. And those that will be turned into, into firewood soon. And, and we take pride in our, in our, our traditions and our significant accomplishments and, and our heritage, only to have John remind us, as he talks to these people, that, that we're not that, that essential. And God can turn stones into saints if he chooses to do so and if we choose not to follow him. And they're confronted by this as they flee looking for salvation looking for something. Now, you would think that being called a snake upon arrival, that these people would just turn away and go about their day, right? Walk away defeated uh, and, and put down. But we see that that's not the case at all, that they want to hear what John has to say. So they ask him, John, what should we do then? Right? They're confronted by John, and they, they come to this place, and, and they have that confrontation, and they, they still ask, what should we do then? And my question is, who does that? Who, who shows up to a place looking to be saved and is greeted and, and called snakes? And, and then, then they ask more questions. I imagine if that was some of us, that there wouldn't be any questions asked, right? Uh, you, you would be responding to the statements that were, were, were made about you, but not these people. They, they come to this place asking questions. So my question is, who are these people? We hear that this question is asked three different times in our passage today. The crowds ask it, the tax collectors ask it, the soldiers ask it. What should we do then? Well, the crowd in general is most likely people living in poverty. And then we have tax collectors. And then we have soldiers, uh, kind of a, a different, uh, different crew of people. But back then, these people are the people that are on the margins. They're the outsiders. They're the misfits or the losers or the ones that don't have it all together. There's those that are cheats and bullies, the thugs or the sellouts. 
tax collectors were not people that fastened their tie and went to the IRS office every week, right? They're ones that collected taxes on behalf of the occupying power of the Romans, and, and they, they were good at collecting a lot of taxes and squeezing people for as much money as they could, and they'd turn over most of it to the government, but they'd keep some for themselves, right? They were traitors. People didn't like the tax collectors, and, and the soldiers were, were not honored, selfless military personnel who deserve our respect, but these soldiers were most likely local mercenaries who, who earned a little bit of cash by keeping the peace. And they would, they would use their power to, to, gain, to gain access to people and to extort them for more money to kind of pad their salary. These were traitors and most likely as well bullies, the thugs of the day. There was no Air Force Appreciation Parade that lasted seven hours for these fellas. <laughs> Didn't happen. Not even 10 minutes, right? But the question is, what should we do then? And we think about this question as I thought about it all week. And, and, and I've wondered, when have I asked this question in life? Like, when have you asked this question in life? What should we do then? What has brought about this question in me as I, as I think about this? What should we do then? Or what should I do then? As I begin to think, I, I recognize that this question is not a question that's just normal. Like, a, I'm not talking about like an informational question. Like, honey, why did you buy this Ikea furniture that I have to put together? What should I do when it doesn't work, right? Not that kind of question, but a heart question. We've been there a couple times, haven't we? Right? But a heart question, a life question, the question we ask when life gets complicated and difficult and when we can't see a way forward. When I've asked this question and when I've seen others ask this question, I notice that it comes when I'm at the end of myself, right? When, when, I, when I recognize that I don't have the answer, and after a little bit of, of holding out, then maybe I'll, I'll ask somebody for help, or I'll look for a different opportunity, or, or whatever it is. What should we do then? In my life, this question has, has revealed the powerlessness that I feel when I'm up against something big. We ask this question when we're, when we're scared or when we're stressed or when we're overwhelmed or when we've fallen into a pattern of life that is not good and we don't know what to do about it. We need a change. We need something different. We need saving. This is not one of those everyday questions because we make hundreds of decisions every day and most of us know what to do. Right, just think real quick. Think about all the decisions you've already made today. Like you made a lot of decisions, right? Like you've had to decide whether you were going to brush your teeth or not. Thank you to those of you who did, right? You, you've asked the question, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Or what car are we going to take? Or what shirt am I going to wear? And we know the, the things that we do. We know how to make decisions and we make hundreds and hundreds of them every single day. And we don't usually ask that question to everyone of what we're going to do in this situation. It's not an everyday question. We, we usually know what, what to do. 
Now, that does not mean that we always make the right decisions. You probably should have wore the other shirt, right? Or you should brush your teeth if you didn't, right? Sometimes we make wrong decisions, but generally we know what to do. But when life is, is out of control, when life is upside down, and we feel hopeless to fix it, and we've tried and tried and tried, that's when we ask the question, what should we do then? Just thinking about back about life, this question is, has always brought me to intersection an intersection in life. It's a it's a crossroads kind of question. I, you're in this place and you you don't know what to do. It's a it's a space where discernment is needed, where where you you ask that question with sincerity. It's an intersection of decision. Am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? Am I going to do this? Or am I going to do that? Am I going to take advantage of that opportunity? Or am I going to wait for the next one? Am I going to uh, continue to live this way of life? Or is it going to be differently? I think that of these intersections as places uh, for the opportunity of repentance. Where we come to these places, and we talk about these often, where, where Christ leads us to an intersection where we're confronted by God's love for us, and we're in that space, and we're in that place, and we have the opportunity to repent, to turn away from all else, and to follow Him. It's a place of, of repentance, and it's a, it's a situation where we ask the question, what should we do? Some of us, when I say some of us, I mean me, right? Some of us like to come to these places and we like to try out our options. We, we get to a place and we, we don't know what to do or we, we're, we're in, a, in, a, in a pattern of life and we don't know which way to go forward. And so we decide that what we're going to do is try out a, a couple, right? And so we, we, we go this way and we realize at the end of it that that way just didn't work. Whoop, nope, didn't work. And so we, we, we go from there and we go to a different way. I'm going to try this now and, and, and this didn't work. And, and then I'm going to try this now and this didn't work. And then finally I'll get to the place where I ask the question, well, what do we do then, right? What, what am I going to do? It's a question that is asked when we come to the end of ourselves. That these people in our passage today and us in life, we see that they show up to this river and they show up to this man who is, is preaching in the desert, one that they've, they, that they've heard about and they, they scramble to the Jordan River. They, they, they go down to the, the, the valley of the river and they are ready and willing to, to, to see John the Baptist. They're here. And they, they have questions in spite of their greeting from, from this man. They show up in desperation at this river and, and have recognized their need to change. And now they want to know what to do. And now this is a legit question, right? Like, like what do I do from here? Or, or what's life look like uh, now? And, and I want to be baptized, but, but you're saying that I need something else. What do I do. We read that John's words to them were pretty simple. The crowd asked, what do you do? And so John tells them, share with one another. If you have two coats, give one to someone who has none. 
If you have more food than you need, give away to those who, who are hungry. Demonstrate your faithfulness by living a life marked by generosity. In other words, go and do the right thing. Or the tax collectors in the crowd, they shout, what should we do? Remember, these are people that, that are looked down upon, but they are, are willing as they're in this crowd. What should we do? And knowing their reputation for cheating people, I imagine John says, collect no more than the amount prescribed. And the, the crowd goes wild, right? Yeah, do that. Go and do the right thing. The soldiers in the crowd begin to worry, and they ask John, what should we do? And people in the crowd might have some opinions of, of what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And they have good reason to be nervous. They, they work for these occupying forces. They're feared and, and they're brutal and they extort people. And to the soldiers, John simply says, don't extort people and be satisfied with your wages. Go and do the right thing. Now, a simple-minded kind of fellow like myself, I like this, Right? I like this wild man who, who shows up and it is different and, and, he, and he meets with, with these people and he's just described things to the crowd that they can actually do. Like, go do this and don't do this. And, and that's simple and I like that. It's packaged and, and sometimes I wish that that voice would come to me, right? Sometimes I wish that someone would walk alongside of me and say, you shouldn't eat that. That's bad for you. Maybe I'll pay you to do that January 1st. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's where we rely on the Holy Spirit. But, but, but here, John, John is, is here. And, and notice that he doesn't say, you must come and you must live out in the desert with me and pass the locusts and honey. Or you must come and you must wear this camel uh, hair robe and, and you must live simply and do life just like me. He, he doesn't do that at all. And rather, he, he asks them produce, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance for their, for their outside to reflect what's happening on their inside. Right? So, to do what they're, what they're called to do, for their actions to reflect their heart. John says, I don't want to hear about Abraham. I don't care who your daddy is. I want to see fruit. I don't care what, what, what you're holding on to or what you think you're, you're special. Everybody's special. I'm special included. But, but that just doesn't matter. I, I want to see fruit. You say that you're the people of God, but, I, but what I see is no fruit of the people of God. But we've got to be careful here because then some of us think we just like hand out coats and get free salvation. Right? We're reminded that we can't earn our salvation. The giving out coats or, or soup won't do that. John chapter 6, verse 29, 28, 29, the disciples blatantly asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who, is, who he has sent. That Jesus is the one that brings salvation. That, that, that's, that, that's, that's what brings salvation, not what we do. That's not, John is not saying that you're going to get salvation if you do these things. He's saying, I want to see what that's producing in you. Like, I want to see your repentance. You say that there's repentance, and we think that, but, but we're not seeing in that. John wants congruence between who we are and what we do. Repentance, changing the direction of our lives through the Holy Spirit's help. That the Holy Spirit is enabling us and calling us 
down paths that lead to Jesus and lead to restoration. And that shows in life. That shows in the ways in which we interact with one another and the ways in which we, we live. These things, they seem simple. And my, my simple spirit says, that's awesome. That's great. Go give your coats away. and Let's go do soup with our neighbor or whatever. And you should do that. But, but as we really look at these things, it's not something that we do on our own. As we, as we look at these things, and they may seem simple, and, and some of you can cook some really good soup, and you're ready, right? But we've got to look at, back at who John is talking to. As these answers seem pretty reasonable, they make sense. But underneath them lies deep issues where the real heart change must happen. The reasons that, that we can ignore the hurts and the needs of others. The reasons that we can lie and take advantage of one another. The reasons that we can abuse and, 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 and use and even kill one another, as the soldiers may have done, is because we're fallen and we're in need of that continual grace of Jesus. Over and over and over again. But let's look at the answers that John gives to these people who ask these questions. What should we do then? To the crowd in general that are almost guaranteed to be absolutely poor. He calls them to give away your extra, your stuff, your food. Something that's nearly impossible for those that have nothing and are fighting scarcity. To the tax collectors, he tells them, don't collect any more than you're required to. But, ugh, like that's what we do. And everybody knows it, right? That's, that's, kind, of our, that's kind of our thing. That's the life that we, we signed up for. That's what we're in, and we're in deep. Just bought a new beach home. We're in deep. To the soldiers, he says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What? Like you've just taken all the fun out of being a soldier. Back then, not today. He, he comes with these answers that seem simple, but they're, they're not simple at all. John is highlighting the temptation that they have the most. Like that one thing. Like, have you ever gone to, 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 to something as your as your, your kids and, and you say, uh, honey, you can eat anything that's on my plate. And they choose the one thing that you wanted, right? Well, she did this the other day. She gave us a little box of cookies. And I open it for, for with Jack right, right next to me. And I open it up. And I didn't even have time to get the cookie I wanted, right? He took the one I wanted instantly. He didn't even ask. We have that, that, that going right for the one thing. And, and here, here John is going right for that one thing that hurts the most. The one thing that is at, at the core of their temptation. The, the, the sin that they would deal with the most being in that position. Sneaky. Isn't this exactly what Jesus does to the rich young ruler? What do I need to do? Oh, I've done that, and I've done that. Go and sell all your things and give it to the poor. Rich ruler walks away defeated because it was his one thing. We may think it's simple, and it looks like soup, and it looks like coats, and it looks like not using our power, but what's our one thing? 
John leads them to this intersection where where they are confronted by by the ways in which they're living, a place where they they ask and the answer that they're given is the most difficult thing that they can imagine. I can imagine that they say under their breath, this isn't easy. (laughs) This isn't a a 10-step program. This This isn't something I could do this weekend. I can't do this. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been a tax collector for all this this time. And you want me to do what? Like, how am I going to live? I've I've, I've been in this place and and I'm completely poor. I have nothing. And, And now you're asking me to give any extra that I have away? I can't do that. I'm going to hold on to, to everything that I have. I've got power. And, and I like the feeling of power and taking what I want as the soldiers are there. And, and, and this is the one thing that, that, that you're calling me to give up. He highlights the stuff and the sin that have them wrapped up tight. They are constricted in, in what they do. They are rolled up entangled in the sins of life that come with their position, the things that they do in their everyday ordinary stuff, the life in which they live. And John the Baptist, that hairy guy that makes things very inconvenient, puts its finger on it that day. And just like that black snake that is in the holler of Virginia, swept up in the hay bale looking for a way out, so they are. John is the one that prepares the way of Jesus. I can't think of any better way to prepare people for Jesus than for us to recognize that we can't do it on our own. I can't think of any other way for for us to prepare to to celebrate the coming of Jesus, you and me, than to recognize that we can't do it on our own, that His grace is gift. So I ask you this morning, as our band comes to, to help lead us, as we recognize that Christ is with us, what's that one thing? I trust automatically that the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. And nobody's going to come up here and say, well, your one thing's this, and this is what you struggle with, and you should do this, and you should do that, because the Holy Spirit is with us. But we recognize this morning that just like them, we need a Savior. It says that their hearts begin to wonder if John the Baptist is the Savior. Remember, Jesus isn't on the scene yet. He'll come in a couple verses. But they wonder to themselves, is John the Baptist the Messiah? Because we are in great need of one right now. (laughs) I can't do this on my own. I need one right now. And John tells them that there will be one that comes with even more power than him, that Jesus is on the way. And the good news for us is that Jesus is here and that we don't have to do it on our own. Lord, we thank you that you are God with us, that you are present in our everyday ordinary life, that you're with us when things are great and when things are not so great, the the mountaintops and the valleys. 
And Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the places of intersection where we are confronted by your love for us. Lord, we also recognize these places as places where we are confronted by the sin that entangles us, where you don't just give easy answers, but you point right to the heart of it. Lord, we recognize this morning as we prepare our hearts in this Advent season that without a doubt, we need you. Our hands are are lifted up and, and palms upward. We are in a posture of a people that is in need. Some of us are the misfits, the outsiders. We are, are poor in spirit and poor in life. Some of us are dealing with struggles with power and using that to get our way. And Lord, you know each and every one of us, and your grace is sufficient. So we ask all things, and we remember that when you call us to something, you don't just leave us there to figure it out, but you empower us and carry us to do it. So we ask that you would call us away from our sin and lead us to you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your grace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for the benediction this morning. Beloved, God's people, may you go from this place knowing that you are loved. May you go asking the Holy Spirit to point those things out in life. And may you go seeking after God's heart, turning away and abandoning all else, knowing that he is your Savior. May you go in action. And go in peace. You are dismissed.